0: Welcome back to Work Woman. This episode is going to be freaking amazing. I have such a special guest. Gino Wickman is somebody whose work I have been studying for over six years, and it is work that I have applied in almost every area of my life. It does not just come from the professional side. There is so much personal development that I have done through the work that he does. And we go through his brand new book, uh, Entrepreneurial Leap, which is for business owners who are deciding, am I really a business owner? Like, am I meant for this? Am I cut out to be an entrepreneur? He talks about how this is a passion project for him because he wishes somebody would have had this resource built when he was making the decision. Instead of him taking all this time and having uncertainty, somebody could have said, yes, this is what you are and other people that he's worked with in other consulting capacities can be like, hey, wait a second, I'm not these things. If I'm gonna struggle in these areas, maybe business ownership isn't actually for me. So I love that it's both sides of it. It's not just this fluffy. Everybody should be an entrepreneur because oftentimes like there are a lot of people who really are not, cut out to be an entrepreneur and really don't understand what it looks like. So Brandon and I hopped on a Zoom call with him. We were both able to ask the pressing questions that we have, and I hope you thoroughly enjoy this incredible interview. Gino, it's an honor to have you on our podcast, and we decided to do a joint podcast with you because of the the work that you've done and how it's made such an impact on both of us and how we think about business and put strategies and and so many things in place. And so thank you, first of all, for joining us on the Workwoman Show and also the
1: The Dawson
2: Show. Well, right back at you. It's an honor to be on both of your podcasts.
0: It's a a twofer. It's a two-in-one. Yes. So with that, Gino, I would just love to start this off by getting a better understanding of your origin story. We know it, and through reading the Entrepreneurial Leap, which we're gonna get into a little bit later, it goes into just the incredible history that you have had with building businesses and family businesses, but we'd love to hear it from you and so our audience can get to know you a little better.
2: Yeah, well, I'll give you the lightning fast, high-level version, and if you wanna drill down and back up the truck, we can certainly do that. Uh, But very quickly, uh, I've kind of been an entrepreneur my whole life, but really got the entrepreneurial spirit at 21. So uh, after graduating high school, did not go to college, was not for me. So as my friends went off to college, I wanted to go make money. I actually ended up working in a machine shop, but made a ton of money. At 21, I saved up $8,000 and took my leap and just did a bunch of different stuff and then lost all of my money. Anyway, with that said, I found myself in the real estate industry. I ended up taking over a family business. My dad had created a program and built a company that was the number one real estate sales training organization in North America. When I took it over, I discovered it was in desperate need of a turnaround, uh, but I really felt I could save it. And so I turned the business around in three years, got it growing and healthy, got out of some deep, ugly debt, ran it for seven years. We decided to sell successfully sold the business. Uh, I stayed on for a year and a half to transition in the new leadership team, and then set out to pursue what was my ultimate passion and purpose. And that's helping entrepreneurs. And that's what led me to creating EOS. During the family business, I got involved in EO, what was once known as YEO, the Entrepreneurs Organization, and the Strategic Coach Program. And it was those two things that just kind of opened the whole world up to me, and where I really realized my calling. And so when I took the leap into helping entrepreneurs, the first five years was just me working with my clients, putting the finishing touches on EOS, doing 500 full day sessions with about 50 different companies. And then I decided to leverage the whole thing. And so then I joined forces with a partner, Don Tinney, and we built it over the next 15 years into an organization with a couple hundred people and we then sold it. And so as we sit here today, there are over 400 EOS implementers all over the world. We're impacting over a hundred thousand companies, selling lots of books, making a huge impact on lives. And it's a whole heck of a lot of fun. And then the last little point is when I was 40, I said, when I turn 50, I'm going to devote some energy to helping entrepreneurs in the making. And that's what led to this new book, Entrepreneurial Leap, which is very much a passion project. And so in the next 10 years, I want to impact a million entrepreneurs in the making and help give them a huge jump start on taking their entrepreneurial leap that's the fastest version i can tell you of my story that's awesome you know
1: our mission is to impact a million businesses love it so it's 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 interesting how aligned and consistent uh your mission and our vision and mission is as well yeah you know when you when you started when you exited, let's go to the exit because I had a, a fairly large exit in 2016, and for all practical purposes, you would think that you arrived, because just getting through, starting something, building something, growing something, and then exiting something in itself is 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 amazing, right? But yeah, but to be able to to be able to actually actualize an exit, you know how hard that is. Oh, yeah. And and on the other side of that, as soon as it happened, I went into this. I have had so much confidence over that 12, 15 year window. As soon as I exited within about three months, I had this unbelievable insecurity and fear overwhelmed me because I didn't want to be the guy that was the smart guy who figured out how to start and exit something and then be the idiot that lost all his money. Like like. That's because I felt like I was starting to burn money. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't understand you get used to living on a certain amount of cash flow that you're running through the business. And all of a sudden you take it off the table and you invest that money and it pays you a quarter of what you were actually running through the business. When you, when, when, when you went through your experience, um, what frame of mind did you have after you sold the first business and then because because you know for me and forgive me when i said the idiot that lost his money but the issue was i had like a lot of money right so it was well over a hundred million dollars and i was like i, I could lose this and then what do i say yeah
2: yeah well so we could do a whole podcast just on this topic so i it prompts maybe three thoughts so it's so funny you're bringing this up because literally i just did a podcast interview and what we were talking about is setting long-range goals and they were asking me the of definition of success. And I subscribe to the Earl Nightingale definition that success is, is the worthy progression and realization of a goal. And so it's working towards something is when you're successful. And, and literally verbatim, this is what I said. It's just like when you work your whole life building a business and then you sell it, the day after you sell it, you feel like a failure. So you've, you've just literally put the exclamation point on the conversation we had. But the point is more than selling your business, any big goal you work toward, The day you hit it, the next day, you're depressed. You got to set a new goal. And so the point is all about working towards something. So that's point one. Knowing that for anyone out there that owns a business and intends to sell it someday, I've seen it now so many times with my clients and so many entrepreneurs. The day after they lose their identity, they go into a deep depression, they're miserable. And this lasts for one to two years on average. And so knowing that, I had the luxury of knowing that. So when you ask what was my mindset, going into that, you got to know your next thing, okay? And so I already knew my next thing. So, you know, I'm not bragging, but I had so much experience that, you know, I put in place an amazing leadership team. I had already removed myself from the day-to-day. I replaced myself as the visionary of the company. And that new visionary had been in place for three, four years and running it well. So that's point one. The company was not dependent on me anymore, so I was free. Number two, I knew exactly what I was going to spend my time doing the day after I sold. And this is it. So I already knew what I was going to be doing so that I had a purpose. I had an identity because, again, like I said, that's what most lose. So that was that's the mindset. Those are the lessons. That's what I learned. And like I said, we could do an entire podcast because there's 12 other great things that I incorporated into it. Uh, But that's a biggie is you got to know what you're going to do next, or you're going to be miserable.
1: 100%, 100%. Even though I was excited about what I was going to do next, I was still afraid. I was still miserable (laughs) (laughs) because I was afraid What if I screwed it up. What if I was a two or three time?
0: Fear really settled in, you know? And so it's interesting to hear you say that, where you're in the middle of building something new. And I think the difference probably is, the realization that it took a while after the sale of the business um, for like, for him to stumble upon and for myself was, it's in the pursuit, right? Like you're and, going and, to and, be happy.
2: Yeah, and Natalie, did, did you know Brandon when he sold the business? Were yes. you guys mm-hmm. together? Yeah, yes. so you you got to witness the misery, right? So not only yeah. is he validating it, but you're validating it because oh, yeah. you probably saw the misery more extreme than he saw the misery. You know, he was pretending. You saw it clearly, though, so for what that's worth. Uh, very
0: clearly, very clearly. And it was, for me, such an incredible lesson and so many things, I think, came from that. But this idea that you just said is uh, very impactful, that mm-hmm. it's the process of becoming successful and you have 12 give me a second, I have all of my notes from your book, you had a quote, um, becoming an entrepreneur isn't something you do, it's something that you are, and I think that that also ties to this idea of exiting, because once you've exited a business, you still are an entrepreneur, it's not, you became it, you still, you have this thing, and you have to, it's your responsibility to yourself to continue to go after that.
2: Yeah, and so it's humorous to me when somebody says, "I think I want to be an entrepreneur." So again, you just you either are, and I have a very strong belief that you are born with it. And I believe there are six essential traits in the hundreds and thousands of entrepreneurs I've worked with. I mean, it is genetic; it is nature over nurture. And so to say, "I think I want to be that thing," it's 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 not a choice. You are or you aren't. You can't learn these skills. And so you're right when you sell your business as an entrepreneur. You know, you're going to, like we've already talked about, be depressed, all those things, because you got to have your next conquest. You've got to have your next thing that you're going to build. It's just genetic in your energy. You're a builder, you're a creator. It doesn't have to be the same size empire necessarily, but you need to go build something else.
1: Yeah, 100%. Um, I'm a multi-entrepreneur, I guess you'd say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took my first company public when I was 29 as a consolidator. Wow. So I had a lot of experience, but we dedicated me in particular, dedicated the last 20 years of my life, helping other entrepreneurs grow and scale and create massive value. When I sold my business for 77 times EBITDA to a billion dollar company within 24 months, they did keep me busy because we took it from one to 4.5 billion in value internationally wow. domestically. So that was my my test for do the systems and the things and the methodologies I created do they not only work in North America but can they work globally here, here and, and so our confidence was extremely high but then I had a launch and and then it was like well if I launch and nobody wants it so then that fear starts settling in That's but to your point that's actually The very thing that inspires it's the challenge it's the risk it's the danger it's all those things that keep you in the game and and focused and excited and i think you and i would agree that entrepreneurs that do go through an exit and they don't have something keeping themselves in the game are in jeopardy of losing the money that they did create
2: yeah and it's you know i I, i've got a little bit of a tangent but it's right on point and so there's this amazing new series on Netflix called Peaky Blinders, and most people have watched it. And it's incredible, but it's this hard-charging criminal, but he's an entrepreneur. He's got all of the six essential traits. And about the third or fourth season, he gets to a point where he's got no more enemies, nobody to fight. And so he takes six months off. And he is miserable. He drinks himself to death. All he tries golf and he's throwing golf. Clubs. And then at the end of the six months, he walks out his front door. And he says, I'm getting back to work. So then he had to go create his next problem. It was, I laughed. It was the perfect embodiment of what happens to every entrepreneur when they retire, sell their business, think they're going to stop. It's really hard to stop. You know, I I
1: coach a lot of business owners that struggle with finding, attracting uh developing um and and aligning and then retaining great people and and there's this thing that i call the entrepreneurial dilemma which is they carry the same thought that got them to start their business into the business and one of those thoughts are people who are good are going to leave me because they left where they came from and so the psychology of being an entrepreneur and keeping great teams, because you and I took the same track. When I sold my business, I intentionally, 10 years before I sold it, created a holding company that gave equity to all my leadership team. When we sold the business, I took half of my earnout and gave it to my team. And I'm proud to say that next week will be the fifth anniversary. I will no longer be the CEO of the company. I've been the CEO for 60 months, but I physically haven't been in a location in two years. We've hit our targets. The teams are all still there running it. Talk a little bit about when you, from your perspective, when someone does start a business and they leave wrong where they were at, let's say they take customers and they they, they become a victim mentality. They don't take care of me and they're on the payroll for nine months, setting their side and getting up and then they leave. It's my experience to carry that belief that that's how people do it. And I've watched so many entrepreneurs run off their stellar future team members thinking they were going to do the same thing to them and then actually mistreating them unconsciously. Have you had that experience? Have you seen that? And what are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah. And I, so I would come at this a little bit different because I, um, I'm not going to get into the psychology and the history of it. The way I'm going to come at it is with a contextual point that says, you know, first there's a, there's a saying that says, people don't leave their company, they leave their boss, okay? And so if they're leaving, they're leaving you with all due love and respect. There's something you're doing, they don't like you, they don't want to be around you, they leave you. So just know if they're leaving you, it's you. So fix that first, point one. Point two, however you found them and however you they got to you, I'm always less concerned about that again, unless they broke out of prison or murdered three people. So let's just assume that it wasn't something evil that they did. I gave her a pass. Yeah. <laughs> no. and everything they did was ethical, okay? Let's just assume, because if they've exhibited signs of not being ethical, trust me, that yeah. pattern's gonna continue. So let's pretend they got to you in an ethical way. I would suggest to you, they're probably never gonna leave you if they are stimulated, shared the same passion, are compensated well, if you are a great boss. So if all of those things are in place, you know, when I say never leave you, that's an extreme statement, but they're gonna be with you for a really long time. And I'm proud to say with EOS Worldwide, darn near the same leadership team we left them when we sold three years ago, is the same leadership team that's still in place. And most of the people, because they just love it there. We found the right core value fit. We found the right passion fit, they're compensated well. And, you know, everyone around there, that's a boss or a leader is a pretty darn good boss or a leader. So anyway, that's, I just come at it from that way. And I don't get into the whole, you know, when the, when the owner is thinking they left them, they're going to leave me. I mean, that there's some psychological issues going on there that therapy is the only solution to that. (laughs) Um, So, so that's, you know, my two cents.
1: Many of the business owners that I've worked with over the last 20 years, they started, their business because they didn't want a boss. They didn't want somebody to put a limit on how much money they could make. They didn't want someone controlling their time. They didn't want somebody telling them what to do. So they started the business because of what they didn't want, mm-hmm. not because of what they were so enthusiastically excited about building. Mm-hmm. And when I read your book, I, I, I see the characteristics. Are you an entrepreneur? Are you not an entrepreneur? I think this is a great way to define for many people Because there's 31 and a half small to mid-sized, 31 and a half million small to mid-sized businesses in the United States, 25 million have a single level. So obviously those people are struggling defining themselves as a business owner or an entrepreneur, right?
2: Exactly. So yeah, that's, so I love that because, so to introduce this content in the book into what you just said, utopia is that I wrote the book in three parts. Confirm, glimpse, path. And so confirm is first and foremost, confirming that you have these six essential traits. There's a free assessment you can take. Once you confirm it, I show you a glimpse of the life, which helps you start to design the perfect life to your point, doing what you want to do, taking this leap because of the things, the reasons you want to do it, and then showing you a path to increase your odds of success, eliminate half the mistakes. So utopia is that everyone takes their leap for those reasons. I don't know the math, but if I had to guess the math, I would say most are leaving pain. They're leaving for all the reasons that you're talking about. And so I would suggest it's a match made in heaven that when they leave out of frustration or all those other reasons, combined with doing it for all the right reasons, that's mm-hmm. a match made in heaven. But I I don't know that not, I don't know that anything's ever going to change. This person with six essential traits stuck in an academic system, a corporate world system, a job, you know, getting itchy, getting frustrated, wanting to leave because it just feels so uncomfortable and claustrophobic, or they get laid off, or, you know, a pandemic hits, or whatever the reason is, they're put out to pasture, or they're frustrated and leave their situation. I think that's still going to be a majority of the reason that they leap. But hopefully combining these two conversations helps them take a better leap and do it for all the right reasons, but do it in alignment with what they're built for. And what I'm showing them how to do is build the business they're built to build because the world is being convinced that the only business to build is a billion-dollar tech unicorn. And trust me, there are lots of other options. And every entrepreneur is not built to build a billion-dollar company. And there's no shame in building a $4 million dollar heating and cooling company if that's what you're built for. So anyway, I, I hope that makes sense. But uh, that would be my answer to your question. Yeah, well,
0: awesome. And the chapter where it talks about the difference between the nightmare versus the dream, I think really does hit home because if you're building into this dream, then you're focused on what you want. But the the experiences that you've had, you can accidentally create this nightmare. And so many of the tools that you provide and the thinking and the strategies Teach business owners. Okay, I already have these skills. I've already have what it takes to be an entrepreneur. Now I need to know what the what the tactical pieces are going to need to be in order to create the dream because I'm capable of creating the dream and not accidentally fall into this nightmare
2: state. Yeah, and thank you for bringing that into this because you know I created that for a specific reason and and I didn't really think about the reason that you're bringing up because so now let's tie this together. So in the glimpse part of the book, like you said, I'm showing them a day in the life, both heaven and hell, the dream, the nightmare, so they can see the contrast and avoid the nightmare. So to exactly what you're saying, Brandon, most of them are leaving pain to go find pleasure, but they just kind of thrusted themselves into this new thing, and they end up living the nightmare because they have no idea what they're doing. They just jumped in feet first. They didn't design the perfect life first. And so that's, you You just put an exclamation point on this concept now, because most are living the nightmare. And I want to say 90% are living the nightmare, 10% are living the dream. You can absolutely live the dream and you can live the dream by going in aware of all of these things and designing the perfect life and then building that. So, so thank you for kind of pulling that whole thing together.
0: Before you ask your question, I just want to follow up on that. So as I was reading the book, one of the primary questions I kept asking myself and that I was excited to be able to talk to you about is why you had this drive to write a book that for the first half of it is kind of, or third of it is kind of talking people out of entrepreneurship. And I'm curious to hear experiences that you had with entrepreneurship potentially gone wrong in these nightmare stories and why that was such a driving force behind the book.
2: Here, here. Well, so first of all, I'm deeply concerned as to all of the hype around being an entrepreneur. You know, so let's go back to your quote of mine from earlier, you know, being an entrepreneur is not something you do, it's something you are. So you are this, okay? So it's not a career choice. You are just, you can't stop yourself. And so for 5,000 years of entrepreneurial history, an entrepreneur is created because the entrepreneur just does their natural inclination. They didn't choose that. And so I wanna start there because we're in a time right now where everyone's being sold. Entrepreneurship is the greatest thing on earth and you should all be entrepreneurs. And that's really dangerous because I believe about 4% of the population are entrepreneurs. And if 80% are being convinced of that, that's a formula for disaster. And so I'm trying to save lives. I'm trying to save people from 10 years of hell. And so I am breaking hearts sadly. My mission is to find the 4% wherever they are because they're in universities, they're in corporate America, they're in the prison system. 25% of all prisoners, they're entrepreneurs. They just use their powers for bad, not good. And so look out when they realize they can use those powers for good. But wherever they are, it's a matter of finding them and showing them the life they're born to live and just as quickly saving people from 10 years of hell that should not Take this journey. And so that's the first part of where the passion comes from and why the approach. It's just my nature to be honest. In other words, I just, for lack of a better term, punch people in the face with the truth. It just it saves a lot of time. Okay. So I'm just saving time. And then the second part of the passion is I'm teaching myself at 18 years old. So Danielle Kennedy says, We teach what we needed the most. And so at 18, I was a mislabeled derelict. I was lost. I was confused. I was scared to death and and I was an entrepreneur in the making and I had no idea I was. And so if I had known this, if I had this content, if I had this book 35 years ago, it would have been a much different path in my 20s or at least a less anxious path and an insecure path if you will. So those are the two intertwining passions and reasons that lead up to the answer to your question. That
1: makes a lot of sense. So Gino, you know, I talk about um uh, I've done so much research from 2009, to 11 through 16 with two major research companies, and, and we reverse engineered about 3,800 different businesses across the spectrum, about hundred different verticals, because the thing I was looking for, my expertise is in taking individual independent business owners and massively growing, scaling, and participating with them as an alternative to private equity. Yeah. So, what I wanted to understand is at the different levels of scaling and growing, what are the things that need to be in place that worked in place that caused businesses to fail and collapse? And this is the work I started when I first met Jim Collins and I started looking at good, great, great by Trace the money falls. And this, these were the discussions of, okay, this, you can map this to 30 year old legacy billions of dollars sized businesses. But who's mapping it to million dollars or $3 dollars or five? I mean, it's just too complicated, too much work. That was put me on my mission. And so, what what I found on average across the spectrum is that hundred thousand dollars to three million is what I call break point one, and that's the what they do. Does it work? Once they get up to a certain size, they accumulate a couple of people to help them, and the range is somewhere between you know half a million to three million is in that first breakpoint. point. Then break point two is three to 8 million and that's kind of like how many people they throw at it and and, and can get people enthusiastic and excited about putting the rubber bands around things to keep it to work the break point three is eight to 15 million and that's where all of a sudden they've got to become process oriented because break point four is accelerating people and if you don't create break point three that process around that and at least two or three leaders in the organization that understand why we do what we do, what the impact is, and how to measure that and align people with it. Then when they get into breakpoint four, which is which is that 25 billion range, they tend to collapse back on themselves. And that's what the research showed. And we did this all the way up to a billion dollars. And part of my enthusiasm of selling to a billion dollar company is how much further can we take this by deploying across the spectrum of their universe? Your experiences. In, in your growth, because you, you you grew a business to break point five, six, seven, eight area. What were your, your experiences in the growth cycle where you were like, oh, I'm bumping up against something and I need to find a way to break through that? When you think back to your growth trajectory, were there moments where you're like, hmm, I wish I had this, I wish I had that, or I wish I had done this or that? Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, um, trying to just think about how to articulate this uh, because it's so interesting how you come at it and you're way smarter than i am so so the way i always approach things is i say forget about why this is happening just do this so you know you are clear on a lot of the why this is happening so i'm going to give an answer that comes at it from a little different angle and what's interesting is um with what i created with eos and what it is that we do for companies we do a lot of the same things. And so we're actually competitors and that's great. We all have lots of competitors. The world needs competition. And so we're going after a lot of the same market, but the EOS market is a 10 to 250 person company. And so it's really important that you understand that first, that's who I created EOS for, Speedboats, small entrepreneurial privately held companies. Now, 80% of all of our clients reside there, 80% of the 100,000. 10% 10% are larger, 10% are smaller. The reason the larger ones stay with it is they learned how to stay entrepreneurial, but when they become bureaucratic over 250, yes. which is what usually happens, no moss with EOS because you're bringing in professional managers, you're getting bureaucratic, whatever. So the point is, that's our sweet spot. So I can only answer that sweet spot. But before I say that, I want to share that with Entrepreneurial Leap. You know The main topic of this podcast we're a match made in heaven because I want to get them all to start really well with entrepreneurial leap. And then all of a sudden they're ours at, you know, when they get to the next level. So I would say this, what, what you're calling, you called it a break point, right? Is that the verbiage you use? Yeah. What we call it is we just call it hitting the ceiling. And then there's a great article that was written Harvard business review article on the evolution and revolution of business. And it shares a lot of the similar things that you just talked about. It's fascinating. The similarities, so I can't tell you like the perfect number of employees, perfect revenue size, where it starts to get shaky, but, but that's a revolutionary period before the next evolution, if you will. But again, we call that hitting the ceiling. And so our clients are hitting a series of ceilings. And when they come to us, they're hitting a ceiling. And I feel like one of the first big ceilings is right around 10 employees. Once they get past seven or eight, They start to reach a level of complexity where process, systems, people. So that's where EOS comes in. And so what I would suggest to you is um, there's that first ceiling roughly, you know, then maybe there's another ceiling at 40, another. I don't want to say perfectly where it is, but once we break them through that ceiling, they're going to hit another and then they're going to hit another and they're going to hit another. And so it always comes back to. These tools that I created in the system that was created. So it's all about them looking at their accountability chart, their structure, looking out into the future and saying, what's the right and best structure to get us to the next level? And we always teach structure first, people second, because if they start structuring around people, they're going to make a mistake and get stuck. So when they structure for the next level of growth, sadly, that means people are going to go and people are going to come and most people aren't ready for that. And so to your point, when they're hitting that one of those points you're talking about, some of them stay there forever because they will not make those tough decisions. So that's just one example of how we help them break through. Like you said, all of a sudden process and systems become very important at that level. Um, So anyway, I don't want to go too far, uh, but those are just some examples. And and then again, please. You know what I
1: loved about, um, the ability to communicate with you is that even though you refer to us as competitors, I think we're complementers because Mm -hmm. we use your methodologies that we read in traction. Uh, We are different in how we complement, but we also recognize the strength of that system. And I think, I think what I really love about what you're doing now is when I talk about break point 100,000 to 3 million, there really isn't, and I say I'm not the person that wants to do this passion work. Yeah. But you're the zero to a hundred thousand in this leap, and so I recognize that that the, the the approach, the system, the process, the psychology, the the attitude, the determination is all addressed here yeah. before you're a casualty. And I talk about I, I think that what's really important for people to hear are. True numbers like law of large numbers never lie. And so, when you have 31 and a half million small to mid sized businesses, 25 million of them have one employee, 5.3 million have between two and 15, which is that zone you just talked about. And that's where that's where majority gets stuck. And then 600,000, so less than 1.8 percent, have over 15 employees. So and in that range two-thirds fail every five years cyclically so to your point that that hell that pain we were on the same mission and and i admire how you took your approach to building a system for small to mid-sized businesses to follow because that's exactly what i do except for i approach it differently than you guys approach it but there's such a compliment Mm -hmm but truly being able to identify the future entrepreneur who's gonna make a massive impact. The thing I'm really excited about is because now we're not competitors, you've you've sold that business. And (laughs) there there are some things that we can collaborate on because our ecosystem runs uh, my business partner has over 16 million social media followers and we've literally run 2 to 3,000 people a month through our schools our programs sales marketing business scaling leadership training and the businesses range everywhere from startup all the way up to you know hundreds of millions of dollars in size but i don't see anybody giving the attention to the what i call the future entrepreneur and what excites me about entrepreneurial leap is You've made a commitment and a dedication to give attention to that segment. Mm-hmm. And that really is the future business owners we're all going to be dealing with. Here, hear. You know, and that
2: prompts two thoughts. You know, and that's why we're going to be such great collaborators. And I look so forward to this relationship. And, and then the other thought that it prompts, you know, when you talk about the 100,000 to 3 million. you know, So for lack of a better term, let's just call that the startup phase. You know, the reality of what I'm doing with Entrepreneurial Leap is I'm getting them from the scratch their head period. Am I an entrepreneur to taking their leap and generating their first dollar once they've done that the whole third part of the book path readies them for everything they need to do in the startup phase and so just i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of throw up on your audience for a second but there's i promise there's a method to my madness and i think the two of you will grab a thing or two in this but the chapters in path really high level in terms of what to do to go from the first dollar, you know, to the million, two million, three million dollar in your startup phase, I address college or not first and foremost. If you're at that age, I present all the facts. You decide it's a choice. I then talk about the power of passion, give seven exercises to discover your passion because passion is vital. I then share how to find a mentor. The next chapter is about ten-year thinking. The next chapter are the eight disciplines for increasing your odds of success. So, you know, all the disciplines going in the next chapter are the nine stages of building your company. So, you know, all the stages before you get there. And then the last is just a lifetime of growth, learning and motivation. And so, you know, I just think with what that teaches, there's that match made in heaven. And I don't know if anything jumps out on you for you in terms of what I just rattled off. But please feel free to grab any one of those things if you want to drill a little deeper.
0: The college or not piece is fascinating to me because yeah. both of you guys didn't go to college. I did go to college. And there's, you. I don't want to steal what the book says, but I, I really appreciate your approach and for the audience who is kind of in that age where you're like, should I go to college or should I not go to college? Highly, highly recommend reading this chapter because it might give you different advice than you would assume that somebody who didn't go to college has created what you've created is giving.
2: Yeah. And and what's important is it's not an anti-college message. So even though Brandon and I didn't go, we're not saying don't go. What I'm saying is it's a choice and I present all the facts, all the data, and then you will make a conscious choice. And I would suggest many will still go to college based on what they read. And some will say, you know what, it's not for me, because I have spent many hundreds of thousands of dollars on my education, I just learned how to educate myself my way and I have spent enough money to get three PhDs. So so I'm a fanatic about education, I just had to learn how this ADD, OCD mind needed to be educated, and it wasn't a structured system. But many will choose college after re- reading that chapter, and 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 many may not.
1: I did a podcast called "My Eight Million Dollar Mistake," <laughs> and I I say that's my college education because I, <laughs> I I I tested myself. And blew eight million in the process of doing it in my own money. I never took. A, I've never taken a dime. So when once I had exited that public company, I vowed I would never use anybody's money, and I was going to find a way to to achieve these goals and fund the organization without needing other people's capital. And so, you know, I'm I'm pleased to say we are on our second startup or third, my third, and we in 24 months it generated over 35 million in revenue and 20 million in profit. And we never raised a dime, never borrowed a penny. No one has any money into the organization. And so, you know, and, and really what that is, is taking these methodologies that I've created and teaching entrepreneurs how to bust through those those ceilings yeah. and do it and accelerate it. And, and so the collaboration with you on this is, is, is so near and dear to my heart because you and I were, these people that need to read this book. You and I were there. But because I think we both had some entrepreneurial, when I listened to your story, my mom divorced my preacher dad. She moved in with a guy who invented a hearing aid. By the time I left there, that business was 300 million in size. I got to see what truly being a wild, wild west, hanging on the edge, hanging on your fingernails, looked like as a kid. And it imprinted in me to give me the courage to quit my job, Leave all that and go do my own thing. And I'm going to make gonna the leap. Make the leap. And I think the thing that's missing is there's not enough people teaching people like where you and I were what that could painting that ideal scene or that picture or qualifying or quantifying or defining for people to say, hey, I want to opt into that. So people accidentally stumble into it. And then they find themselves in that hell versus intentionally finding it. That's what I love about
2: this book. Yeah, and and, and some colleges are getting good at it. It's just a few right now, but they're getting good at it. But I feel compelled to say one more thing on this college conversation because it's actually really cool. The point is, again, I present all the facts, you make the decision for yourself, but everything you're gonna read about in those facts come from real world entrepreneurs that have degrees and they're giving you their advice. So the beauty is knowing that you're an entrepreneur and then going to college as an entrepreneur, it's a whole different way to go to college. And it gets clear on the reasons you should go to college and the courses you should take so that you're just not wasting your time for four years in college. So most of them said, I would go back, but I would go back because this is what I got out of it. And here's what I would do different if I went back. So and again, many will decide to go, but you're going as an entrepreneur now. You're not going because society is telling you that's the next step after high school
1: i've interviewed so many people that when they're sitting there and you ask what was it about college you loved?" and they said my parents wanted me to go or i just needed to get any kind of degree to get out of there but what you just said is the first time i've actually ever heard it although i i recognize the simplicity in your statement which is Go to college to learn all the tracks you want to learn so that you can be a better entrepreneur versus go just to get a degree. But I've never had anybody when I've asked them, so what inspired you to go to college? What It was like my parents wanted me to do it or I just wanted to find the easiest thing to get through or I wanted to go hang out with my buddies. No one has ever said to me out of the tens of thousands of interviews, I went to track against what I wanted to do with my life. Because I already
0: knew I was that. yeah
2: Yeah, and 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 what's also important to know and again i share it in the chapter but your road is more difficult in this society without a degree and trust me i know the look of utter disdain from people that think you should have a degree i've been i've seen it ten thousand times in my life i shrug it off and laugh it off and i don't care but you're, the winds are against you if you don't have a degree in this society. So you, you know, these are all the data points that you need to know so you make the right decision for yourself. Brandon and I, we wear it as a badge of honor and we push through that utter utter disdain. If you're not capable of pushing through that utter disdain, go get a degree because then all of a sudden all the doors are open and you just keep moving forward even though you're an entrepreneur. So again, you just need to know all the facts and then make the right decision for you
0: i think that what you described is exactly the type of personality that doesn't necessarily want the credentialing to have like an extra thing to make it a little bit harder like i I see that in both of you obviously there are people who certainly will go to college and have this entrepreneurial thing inside them but i i do think that that almost leads to people who like okay i can take that too and i can take something else and i can take this on and still be able to to create that success. I, I definitely see that in, in both of you.
1: Here, 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 here,
0: uh, I do have a question. So you just said um, a few minutes ago that you think around 4% are entrepreneurs. And so what advice would you give somebody who has found their way into being an entrepreneur, but isn't actually passionate or isn't a visionary? And how do they they have a million dollar business or $2 million business right now how do
2: they proceed? Yeah, and it's, so it's really important. You know, I teach something in a book called The Entrepreneurial Range, you know, about the far right is the true entrepreneur. The far left is the self-employed. That's the one person show. Far right is Elon Musk. And so you're all somewhere on this range, okay? Anybody that owns a business and it's very admirable to be a one person show. You're still free. You still make your own money, all that wonderful stuff. So you just have to decide where you are so this gets to the point i make making, glimpse about my biz match and understanding all of the options for you and deciding the business you're built for. Because, like I said, it's okay to build a four million dollar heating and cooling company. So that entrepreneur just to decide needs to decide what do they really and truly want, and not everyone wants to build a billion dollar company. And so just know yourself. Just as quickly though. If you want the billion-dollar company, then you need to start making billion-dollar decisions. You need to start doing the work to 10X your company, as you guys like to say. So that's, that, that's where that entrepreneur has to start is what do they want? Because what pains me the most is when, when I'll have a client come to me and they say, you know, they're doing $5 million And they say, I want a $100 million company. And I ask why and I dig into that. And it's because of the pressure they're getting from the outside entrepreneur world and the articles they're reading. And those are not good reasons. And at the end of the day, they realize, you know what? I want a $20 million company. So the point in that is you just got to know what you want and then do the hard work to build that it's hard building a $20 million company. Uh, So again, not, none of this is easy, but just, I would start there by just knowing yourself, knowing what you want. And then again, if you want to grow to a billion, go to the resources that teach you how to build a billion dollar company like you guys. If you want to grow it, you know, and, and have a, a, a balanced life while still growing it to whatever size, EOS might be the right choice for you. Or it might be e-myth or it might, who knows? There's lots of resources, but then go find the right resources to get that thing that you want for your business. That would be my two
0: cents. 100%. Uh, my last question is around the idea of having a 10-year stretch where you're setting this target and you're really having 10 years to give yourself the time to build into something, to create something. Walk us through why you think 10 years and how that's helping you currently and how that's helped you in the past.
2: Yeah. And just like anything, I'm always speaking from experience. So when I learned the power of 10-year thinking at 35 years old, it transformed my life. And so right now, most people out there, they're they're so short-term focused. They want everything now, 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 now. They want it this week, this month, this quarter, this year. Um, Well, if you shift your thinking to thinking in 10-year timeframes, I'm not necessarily talking about 10-year goal setting, although I recommend that as well, but just thinking in 10-year timeframes for me and for others that apply it, time slows down. There's a peace that comes over you. You make better decisions and you literally get there faster. It's the most ironic thing in the world. There's a great quote that says, people overestimate what they can get done in a year, but they underestimate what they can get done in 10 years. And Les Brown said, all you need is a good decade. You can build an empire in 10 years. So my point in that is, you know, the average age for this content is somewhere between 20 and 30. And so let's pretend somebody out there is 25 years old and they're hearing this and they're learning this content. By all measures with science today, you're living to a hundred, okay? So on the good side, you have like seven good decades left, okay? So let's put that in perspective. You've got seven great 10-year timeframes. And even if you're 50, you've got at least three good decades left, three good 10-year timeframes. And so if you'll just be more patient Like I said, time slows down, you make better decisions, you will literally get there faster. So I urge you, the chapter is called take action, but be patient, take action, work towards something, work hard, try lots of stuff, but just know in 10 years, you'll get there, set that 10 year goal and just keep working toward it. And you'll be amazed at how fast you will actually get there. And so it's just changing that whole mindset, shifting your mindset and realizing how much time you really have. So at 53, I love it when a I'm talking to a 25-year-old who's feeling urgency. You're like, oh my God. So anyway, that's 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 this old guy's two sons. Yeah, well, you where,
1: you got two 53-year-old old, old guys. nice, awesome, perfect. So you one twenty-eight one 28-year-old feels years. very impatient. So, perfect. So there we go. That's perfect.
0: Uh, Gio, it has been a pleasure. Thank you for agreeing to do this podcast. Uh, and for our listeners, you have to, you absolutely have to pick up a copy of Entrepreneurial Leap. It is transformative. It's going to help you understand if you're ready to make that leap and what the first steps should look like. Do you know I'm assuming they can buy this anywhere, but is there a specific
2: link that you want to drive people to? Yeah, the, the epicenter of all things entrepreneurial leap is the website e-leap.com. So you'll find a ton of free tools. You'll find that assessment. Click on one, two, three roadmap. It's a one-hour exercise to take you through confirm glimpse path, the two most, the three most powerful tools. In an hour, you'll have a a game plan and a roadmap to start a better startup so just a bunch of fun free stuff and certainly you can buy the book there And if you want to become a collaborator like you guys are just click on the become a collaborator button and let's join forces.
1: It's awesome you know Gino from my standpoint from one entrepreneur 53 year old entrepreneur to another one yeah appreciate your dedication and commitment to share with other business owners and and I honor the success you've had
2: thank you it's it's heaven and I really appreciate your time this was a blast. I'm looking forward to doing some big collaborations
1: with you. Trust me.
2: Here, here, here. Thank you to both of you.